Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down with my colleague from JetBrains, Vladislav Tankov, discussing everything serverless and Kotlin. Hi, Vladislav, and welcome to the show. Hi, Hari. Thank you. Happy New Year, by the way. It's uh, yeah, thanks. 7th of January that we're rec recording this. And uh, Are you still on vacation? Yeah, we have today Christmas, I think, in Russia. Yeah. It was on 20, I think, 5th yeah. January in Europe, and now it's in Russia. Oh, so yeah, I've taken away from you from your holidays. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no problem. Well, I'm not really sorry, but anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. No, I am. No, thank you for coming on the show on uh, Christmas Day in Russia. So... Uh, you had a talk recently at um, KotlinConf. Yes, KotlinConf, I forgot. Yes, KotlinConf, you had a talk recently about serverless. And I thought it would be good for us to actually do a show about serverless and talk a little bit about the product or project that you've been working on yourself, which is called Kotlis, right? Yeah, Kotlin Serverless Framework. Kotlin Serverless kind of Framework. Abbreviated to Kotlis. To Kotlis. Oh, Kotlin yeah. Serverless Framework. Yeah, we call it Kotlin Serverless Framework, trying to say that it is a little bit more than just, um, I don't know, serverless HTTP engine. It's about uh, making everything serverless and providing uh, serverless for everyone, promoting it. Uh, the initial idea was a little bit bigger than the current implementation. Yeah, well, that just happens with everything, doesn't it? Yeah, or yeah. the opposite. You know, you you're like, oh, let me start with something new, or small, and then the next thing you know, you've got email client in it as well. But yeah. okay, so we'll get to your framework. Uh, it's just th the name still is a little bit weird for me because it's called Kotless. It's kind of like as if it doesn't have Kotlin. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Like Kotless. Yeah, we've also heard a few jokes uh, from our German users about uh, negative connotations of uh, word "cut," and also we've got a music group called called "Cutless," because of which uh, "Cutless" is not pretty much very well googled. So yeah, but uh, the idea was to somehow unite Kotlin and serverless. But now it sounds like there is no Kotlin, and I don't know what yeah. is there. That's yeah. Naming is hard, huh? Yeah. <laughs> cool. So serverless. Now, uh, I've not played much with serverless technology, mm -hmm. so but I know a little bit about it, but maybe our listeners don't. So could you give a quick summary of what serverless actually means? Yeah. Uh, well, serverless uh, firstly appeared, I think, in 2014. And the idea was to provide users a managed, a managed platform that is able to run functions, stateless functions. Uh, so you have kind of a function that has no global variables, nothing um, around it, but only parameters. And it does something with parameters and returns some result. And the parameters and the result are events inside serverless architecture. So the idea is to somehow uh, unite functions with the events architecture and get uh, event-based, function-based architecture that is driving your application. And you can uh, map some events from outer worlds into your serverless uh, platform. For example, you have an HTTP API that is translating HTTP requests into events and translating back HTTP uh, response events into HTTP responses. So with it, you can somehow um, 
create platforms that are fully based on functions and because of it you can uh, really simple i don't know uh, scale them because um, you have functions that has no state and you can create a lot of functions at once if you have a lot of requests and then have only one function when you have only one request it is a very cost effective approach and very uh, performant approach because you can have uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of functions to process a really big number of requests okay uh, so and, yeah. let, let, let's stop there for a second with the with the scalability thing because you know that's that's every developer's dream and and every cloud provider has kind of sold us the idea that you don't need to worry about scale you just write your code and then we'll make sure that it scales for you so let's take this idea of so essentially serverless is primary units of computation is a function and I don't have to worry about hosting this function or anything like that. Yeah, I just basically create functions and, and have them be executed. And then there's a mechanism that allows external events to, to trigger other functions, right? That's... Yeah, okay. yeah, that's all. Cool. So now let's take this idea of scale and functions. And let's assume that I create a function that computes uh, pi, right? And mm -hmm. as more people come to this you know, the whatever cloud provider I'm using is going to scale this function and provide me with um, more requests being allowed to be processed at the same time, right? Yes. And, and that's absolutely fine because my function uh, to align with functional programming terminology is pure and it doesn't really have a side effect, right? It's basically for every time I call it, it's going to always give me the same value. Mm -hmm. But... So I don't have to worry about scalability. I just basically switch this thing on and, and, and if a million people hit it, it will automatically scale for me. Correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it works that way. Right. So, but what happens when, for example, I, that function needs to have a side effect like access a database? Is this scaling also automatically happening or do I need to now worry about, you know, making sure that I have exclusive right access to the database or, or, or what? Yeah, because of it, uh, a lot of cloud providers are providing uh, serverless services for serverless architectures. So uh, in a pretty simple example, you will need a database, I don't know, to calculate pi uh, and then write uh, the calculated value into a data, data database and take this value for all other requests. So uh, Amazon, for example, are providing DynamoDB. It is a serverless database that is also capable of scaling with your functions so you can you can have there a throughput fixed or scaling throughput and a lot of other serverless uh, a lot of other serverless providers are providing serverless databases serverless i don't know yes and so on that are capable of scaling with your functions so if you have, if you have uh, thousands of requests it is capable of scale your database to able to process sound of requests and it will also cost a little bit more but only for those requests so essentially, in the case of Amazon, you say they provide DynamoDB, which allows me to, again, not have to worry about this, that I could access this DynamoDB directly with my function, and then it will be worried about having to, you know, make sure that there's exclusive access to this? Uh, in case of DynamoDB, I don't remember about transactions. Uh, I think they have them. And uh, I think, yes, you will be able to 
kind of uh, also scale transactions transactions throughput. Uh, so you'll be able to exclusively change the values uh, like in a, any other AC database. But uh, in general, the idea is to provide you with uh, something with all the services around your serverless architecture that are also capable of scaling and also costs nothing when they are turned off. Okay. When there are no requests. And what languages can I use to write serverless functions? Because essentially what I'm writing here is functions all the time, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, they have a few base languages, I would call them. Uh, first of uh, them is JavaScript. It is scripting language. It is an uh, interpreting language. And um, the main point here is that JavaScript is um, kind of a very fast starting language. You need just to start interpret them. Uh, interpret it, and it will work. In case of, for example, C++, you will need to start native uh, executable. It can take a little bit more time if uh, interpreter is already running, and uh, C++ binary should be loaded and uh, run. Uh, in case of JVM, we know that uh, it may also take a little bit more time because of JVM that should initialize static variables and so on. They have uh, three base languages. First of them is JavaScript. Uh, I mean, they serverless providers. Uh, first of them is JavaScript. It is supported, I think, in almost all the serverless providers existing right now, AWS, Azure, Google Cloud, anyone. Uh, also, they have um, native executions, native runtimes. Uh, it means basically that you can, with Go or C++, compile your binary, uh, upload, and it will run. Uh, in general, everyone using Go for it. And the third base runtime is JVM. Uh, it is not supported everywhere. For example, in Google Cloud Platform, I think it is still in beta. Uh, I remember it, I've been looking three months ago, and it wasn't beta. So I think it's still in beta. Uh, and a few cloud providers have support of C Sharp. You can assume that it, uh, it will be Azure. They have support of C Sharp and few others uh serverless providers also have support of dotnet so yeah uh, so there are three base languages and dotnet in some serverless providers uh some serverless providers are supporting it too and uh in general everyone is using either go or js in some cases someone is using java uh, and my idea with Kotlin was that it is multi-platform. It supports Java, Java, but also it supports few other uh, runtimes. And it makes uh, Kotlin a perfect language to create serverless applications. Right. So now I can, you know, for platforms that support Java or slash JVM, I can basically write my functions in Kotlin, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. The idea is it. Uh, so, yeah. but Kotlin also, because I mean, the... JVM option is famously known for startup time not being ideal. So yeah. does it make sense for me to actually write my functions in Kotlin running on the JVM for serverless? On JVM. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, in general, yes, because uh, there are a few techniques to work with uh, cold starts. Uh, problem with startups called cold starts. Yeah. Uh, the, the idea is here, the problem is that uh, Amazon or other service provider is have to spin up container with function and JVM is starting slowly. Uh, first uh, solution to this problem is um, 
outer warming, Kotlin is providing it. Uh, we are kind of uh, calling your function with event that um, outer warms it, warming uh, function, uh, making serverless provider think that function is uh, needed right now. And it is done each five minutes. It costs nothing almost, but uh, you will always have one warm function that is able to uh, process requests. And uh, it helps uh, for the majority of uh, uh, situations when you kind of uh, need function uh, that will be able to process requests, but you will not have uh, thousands of requests at once. How long does it keep that function alive, so to speak? Uh, one function, uh, in most cases, will be kept uh, warm and alive um, for the whole lifetime of program. So. Um, the idea of outer warming that we send an event each five minutes and, uh, for example, AWS will uh, kill function if it is uh, not needed for 10 minutes. So it always will be needed from the point of a serverless provider. Right, so that basically you're making sure that the, the, the timing interval that you're sending this event is always lower than the one that the provider kills the function, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. This is the idea. Right. Yeah, and uh, for JavaScript, for example, uh, you most likely not need such an approach, uh, but JavaScript is executing a little bit slower. So depending on a uh, use case, you need either JavaScript or JVM or native. Right, because the other question I was going to ask is, if I can run, you know, if I'm writing this in Kotlin, I can actually target JavaScript instead of JVM. Is that is mm -hmm. that possible? Uh, right now, in case of Kotlin, it is not possible, but we are aiming to support multi-platform. <clears throat> but there are a few projects that are trying to support somehow native Kotlin native in serverless and Kotlin JavaScript in serverless. Let's forget for a second Kotlin. We, we, we haven't dived into that. Uh, I mean, I know that you mentioned yeah. it regarding the warming. But if I just take a normal project that is Kotlin targeting JavaScript, can I run this on Amazon today, for instance, on AWS? Yeah, you should be able. Okay. Yeah, you should be able. You will need also to set up uh, HTTP dispatcher with Kato or anything else. You will need to do some work to make it work inside AWS. You will need custom runtime, I think. But in general, yeah, you will be able to run Kotlin JavaScript in AWS. But it is a bit of a headache. Okay. So now let's bring to the table Kotlin. Okay, what does Kotlin? Mm -hmm. I mean, tell, give me a quick summary of what Kotlin actually is, apart from the fact that it's a Kotlin serverless framework. Framework, yeah. Uh, well, uh, I can start with a little bit of history since uh, the idea uh, that is uh, in the formation of Kotlin is pretty interesting in foundation of Kotlin. Uh, I've been thinking about making a fully serverless application that is um, um, when you take Kotlin, for example, you have invocations of functions and uh, you are calling other functions. You have uh, global variables and you have variables that are local. And we can somehow automatically map every global variable into DynamoDB record and every invocation of function into event from one serverless function to another serverless function. And uh, with the compiler, make uh, the whole application fully serverless. It will take enormous time to run any request to this application, since you have a lot of invocations of functions, and all of them would be an HTTP request. But it is kind of an interesting idea. Uh, and it can be done on the compiler level without any, uh, I don't know, warning of a user that this application would not be compiled in some 
understandable thing, but it will compile in a lot of jobs that will be deployed to AWS and become a fully serverless application. Um, but uh, in general, it doesn't work because of um, uh, throughput problems, but because of latency problems, because of a lot of problems. So we've decided to make uh, a little bit more simple thing. And uh, Kotlin right now is a serverless uh, HTTP engine. It, uh, it provides you with the ability to define HTTP endpoints with uh, different domain-specific languages. And then it is capable of introspecting the whole uh, code of your application, understanding what infrastructure should be deployed. For example, that uh, it uses HTTP API and API gateway should be deployed or other things, uh, packing your application into serverless functions and uh, connecting everything in cloud. So you'll get uh, an HTTP uh, server in serverless, uh, serverless HTTP server in cloud with one button click. Okay, so hold on a second here. There's a lot to unpack there. First of all, why would I want an HTTP server endpoint in running in serverless if serverless is essentially kind of doing that for me where I'm just providing the functions? Do you see what uh, I'm saying? Or, or did I misunderstand? Not sure. Like when you talk uh, about HTTP endpoint, mm -hmm. I'm thinking, for example, Ktor, right? I'm thinking yeah. um, HTTP servlets, where basically I have my, uh, you know, there's endpoints running in a container that is that that's going to respond to requests, right? Mm -hmm. Why would I need to do this if the whole point of serverless is that I don't need to worry about this whole pipeline of uh, request response, setting up the endpoint. All I do is just provide functions that execute something. Oh yeah, I see. Uh, the actual problem here is that um, if you want to define, for example, HTTP API in serverless, yeah, uh, you have uh, to define somehow what events should be translated in what HTTP passes, yeah. Uh, and the actual problem is that you should configure it somehow. And in most cases, people using CloudFormation or Terraform, and it is an enormous amount of code. You will need to write a thousand of lines of Terraform code that is mapping uh, your HTTP API paths into functions that are processing this HTTP API paths. It is a lot of code that you should know how to write. And this is the major problem with serverless right now. Uh, no one knows how to define uh, normally uh, serverless applications. There are a few frameworks that are helping you with it, serverless.com, for example. But uh, in any way, you will still have to know specific domain-specific language to define your serverless application and map um, HTTP API, for example, uh, into your application. Yeah, which takes me to the other point, which we didn't really discuss, is the aspect of deployment, right? When I have this yeah. function, let's say that I have, you know, let's go back to Kotlin targeting the JVM, and I have my, uh, you know, my my project, and I have a, a file in Kotlin, and I've got a function defined there. What do I have to do to take that function and have it run on AWS? Without Kotlin, yeah, it's a without pretty crucial right point. Now. You will have to do a lot of things. Uh, when we talk about AWS, uh, you will have to define fully your serverless application. It means that you should define 
what jars are what functions, what functions are subscribed to what events, what events are what in AWS infrastructure, what other services you have. And it is a lot of code, really a lot of code. Uh, when we're talking about Terraform, a simple static site, partly dynamic with, I don't know, five or six pages, it is more than 1,000 lines of code. Uh, and uh, this code is written in language that you should also know it is CloudFormation or Terraform or serverless.com, but it will take, I think, less lines. But in any way, you should define in other domain-specific language exactly what is an architecture of your serverless application and what is infrastructure of your serverless application and across it. And this is the major pain point of the whole serverless. You have to know other language and you have to know how to deploy and how to create serverless architectures. But you want only to create Java application and you know, I don't know, JAX-RS-like annotations or Spring annotations, and uh, you fully define everything in your application already. So basically yeah. where I've saved on not having to set up this whole uh, you know, application with the containers or whatever it is that I'm using or Ktor or whatever, I am now having to compensate by creating all of these configuration files and, and Terraform uh, files that need to be deployed, right? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. have to create a lot of Terraform files. Okay, so and now where does Kotlas help me with this? Yeah, our idea was that uh, you already defining the whole infrastructure inside your code. So when we are talking about uh, Spring or Kata, you already have a get, uh, get method or get annotation, post method or post annotation that defines what path, what is the handler, what should um, what handler should process what event on what HTTP path and so on. So you're fully defining the whole uh, structure of your application inside your application, inside your code. We've been doing it for more than 20 years, I think, right now. Uh, we have a lot of DSLs to define REST APIs. And the problem is that you have to fully define your REST API once again in uh, infrastructure files. So Kotlin <clears throat> in general, is trying to uh, introspect your code and understand what infrastructure should be deployed, what is the serverless architecture of your application, and create infrastructure files for you. So you are defining uh, with uh, Kotlin annotations or Kato DSL your application, and Kotlin automatically introspects code with compiler, understands what is the architecture, and deploys it for you. So you don't need to know what is going on and what is the language for defining serverless architectures and so on. You are working with programming terms that you already know. Okay, so basically what you're saying is that the fact that it's, it's essentially taking a look at the code, understanding the annotations being used, whether it's Kato or a Spring, and then from that generating the Terraform files for me to then deploy to AWS or whatever cloud provider, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. This is the idea. Cool. And then, but how does it know about other things, such as, for example, I don't know. Previously, we mentioned DynamoDB, right? How does it know? Mm -hmm. Because I assume that if I want to use DynamoDB, I also need to deploy certain Terraform files, or or is that just a different way that you configure it? Yeah. Uh, well, when we are working with serverless application, you need to somehow work with services around you. So we have a solution for it uh, that is called permissions annotations in our case in Kotlin. Uh, you are defining, um, 
For example, you have an object called, I don't know, URL storage that is working with dynamic TB table with URLs. So you are adding annotation on this object uh, that says that you need uh, to have a read and write access to URL storage dynamic TB table. And Kotlin will understand that each part of code that calls this object or, uh, or touches it somehow should have an access to this DynamoDB table. And uh, your serverless application will be automatically uh, granted with permissions to access this DynamoDB table. If you need to uh, deploy also DynamoDB table, because you have uh, two cases, two situations, you already have DynamoDB table, it is a part of infrastructure that is already deployed and you don't want to redeploy it, or you need to create DynamoDB table. In our case, we are, um, Right now, having an ability to add Terraform files that are defining some parts like DynamoDB tables or S3 buckets. Uh, in this case, Terraform is pretty easy. Uh, it defines the DynamoDB tables very um, in a very small format. And we've decided that we don't need uh, another DSL for Kotlin that will also define DynamoDB tables, and you will need to know also the uh, Kotlin DSL to define DynamoDB tables. But we're thinking to implement things that will introspect your usage of, for example, DynamoDB client, and will try to understand what is the DynamoDB tables that you are trying to work with from the calls to DynamoDB client, and will deploy it for you. But it's kind of a more research project, I think. So there are two ways to work with it. Uh, you can either um, think that uh, people will define DynamoDB table or any other service uh, with Terraform or already have them configured in their AWS account. Or you can try to um, infer the definition of the services, but it is a little bit more peculiar and I think uh, more complex thing. Okay. Which is kind of cool, though. I mean, it's, I mean, it, as a whole, it it feels like Kotlin is saving you a ton of work, right? By basically introspecting all of this code and and trying to generate all of the configuration for you. Yeah, uh, and uh, in case of Kata, um, we can uh, somehow eliminate the the necessity for people that are using Kata to understand what serverless is. They are just deploying serverless application and it works and they're very uh, happy with it. Nice, cool. So one of the questions that sometimes pops up, at least for me, when people talk about serverless technology is the lock-in, right? Because, I mean, and mm -hmm. I was asking this question back when this whole thing started and I've really not gotten a, a response that I say I'm kind of happy with. So to give you an idea of what I'm saying is serverless is great. I basically reduce all of the overhead that I normally have for creating an application to basically writing functions and hooking these functions up with events. But how portable is my application? How much lock-in would I have if I were to say, well, let me go and do serverless with AWS? Would it be easy for me tomorrow to move everything over to GCP or some other cloud provider? Oh, yeah, I see. Uh, right now, I should say that uh, in case of uh, normal serverless applications without Kotlin, uh, it is uh, pretty much not very portable or fully not portable. 
in any way. Uh, it depends on uh, the services that you are using in AWS. For example, if you are using DynamoDB table, uh, you have a lot of problems with porting your application into Azure or Google Cloud Platform. Uh, if you are using only API Gateway, for example, you have only HTTP API and somehow you are doing some work with it, it is pretty much more portable since uh, you will need to re-implement one interface, uh, remap your parameters somehow, and everything will work. But in any case, you have uh, pretty much vendor locked with um, the existing serverless uh, architectures. Uh, each serverless architecture requires, uh, each serverless provider requires from you work with serverless services, with uh, DynamDB tables in AWS, with Azure buckets, and so on. So um, you have to use them. And uh, each usage of uh, serverless servers in ser uh, from serverless provider is locking you to this provider and gives you a, a lot of headache when you are trying to port your application. And it's not only because of, uh, I don't know, clients. It can be also because of uh, problems with semantics of the services. In DynamoDB and in Spanner, in Google Cloud Platform, there is a Spanner. In AWS, there is a DynamoDB table. I'm not sure that I can uh, relate them somehow, but uh, it is both of them are databases. Uh, in DynamoDB DB and in Spanner, transactions may mean different things. And uh, you can uh, port your client or, or replace your clients inside application and get another behavior of application. It is a real problem since semantics may ch change. Right. And does Kotlas help with this at all, with avoiding this vendor lock-in? Yeah, uh, our idea was to provide a um, serverless schema that is uh, cloud, uh, cloud agnostic. And right now, Kotlas is using, uh, well, how it works. We are introspecting code, generating some, some, something that is called Kotlas schema. And this schema is cloud agnostic. It defines some serverless application with some permissions, but it is not uh, locked to some vendor. Uh, and then we are generating code. Uh, and in case of Kotlas, right now you are able, uh, we are able to generate code not only for AWS, but for Azure or other things. But right now we have generation only for AWS, but we will support Azure or and Google Cloud Platform, I think. Because uh, our schema, uh, the definition of serverless application is not um, dependent on some vendor and we may generate other definitions for other vendors too. So we are providing some kind, kind of a cloud agnostic interface to serverless applications. You have annotations or Kata application. And as you know, Kata application is not somehow lock, uh, locked to some vendor. You don't have any AWSs. Uh, there AWS um, specific terms, uh, and we are able to generate schema from it and deploy it to some serverless provider. Right, so it seems that it's not only helping with configuration, but potentially avoiding lock-in in the future as well, which is kind of cool, right? Get yeah, multiple yeah. benefits oh. from this. Yeah, it's one of our ideas since we want to um, eliminate locking to vendor, locking to platform. And we've had also a crazy idea of even providing uh, people with dispatcher that is capable of monitoring your application. And uh, if in case you're using Kotlin Common only, uh, rare compiling your application from one platform, from, for example, native into JS and back 
because uh, with it, you are able to provide the best latency and the best throughput depending on the uh, current uh, load and latency needed. So you can kind of uh, automatically. And what is the status of this? Because I mean, I look on the pages on GitHub and we've got the JetBrains incubator tag. Yeah, which... right now it's, uh-huh. Yeah, so for those that aren't familiar, we, we at JetBrains, we use different tags. So the incubator is projects that are official projects that are being developed by JetBrains. They are considered experimental, not mature enough, or lacking in some manner or release quality, such as testing or supporting documentation. They are provided as is. You're welcome to use them. So someone that clicks on that, they're like, okay, so this is officially supported by JetBrains, but still considered experimental. So is there an update on this, or, or is it still in this state? Uh, it is still in Kubeta since we want to release it when it will have support of other clouds and uh, support of multi-platform. I think it's about a year to implement everything of it. Uh, we have a few other things to implement. Right now, this development iteration, I've been implementing uh, local starts for Kotlis, so you'll be able to work with uh, AWS locally. Uh, we can tell it about it a little bit uh, later. And uh, yeah, it is still incubator. And uh, once we will be ready with multi-platform and with support of other cloud providers, I think it will be JetBrains official. Okay. And are you using it right now inside JetBrains? Yeah, we have a few services that are already using Kotlas. Uh, We have uh, also in development one big service that will use Kotlas, and I think we'll be able to tell uh, to say that it is a pretty mature once we will implement this service. It's kind of a work with users service that will have a high throughput, high load, and the multi-regionality. And uh, it will be a pretty much a good example of uh, showing that Kotlas is pretty mature enough and is capable of doing a pretty big services. And talking about big services, I guess sometimes people that want to come to serverless may ask themselves the question of, is there a is there a line where I should probably not do serverless versus serverless in terms of application size? So, you know, can I take any application that I know that tomorrow will evolve and become more and more complex? Uh, with more rules, with more features, et cetera, and just do this serverless? Or should I kind of say, well, you know, serverless is for more simpler applications that I know that are going to be limited to maybe two or three f- different uh, functionalities and aren't going to, you know, mature over time? Uh, yeah, I see. Um well, I would say that serverless is a little bit more for services applications, kind of, a, I don't know, things that is uh, clean upping something, uh, simple sites, uh, simple administrative panels, and so on. But you should not probably deploy something like, I don't know, just bring space into serverless because it will uh, have um, unpredictable behavior. Uh, in terms of performance, because you have a lot of scheduled jobs, a lot of things that are working right now. And uh, right now, I think even serverless itself as an architecture, as an um, approach, is not major enough to create with it uh, a corporate applications. I don't know, right. Oracle, some Oracle or enterprise applications so. or line yeah, of business applications, applications, right? 
Okay. So you should take a look at it uh, in it uh, when you are working on a services applications, on administrative panels, on administrative applications, and so on. Or if you have um, some pipelines, some data processing, and so on. But you should not trying to implement uh, enterprise, big enterprise applications with it, because it will have you will get a lot of headache with it. You are not able to debug it. Uh, normally, you have a technical limitation right now. Uh, you are not able, I think, to deploy more than 100 megabytes of your application. So if you have an application that is more than 100 megabytes, you will not be able to run it in serverless. And uh, if you will kind of shrink it into models, you will have a lot of problems with understanding what events were. Right. But if I'm in my house and I want to, for example, I don't know, let's say that I have IoT connected lights and I want to have my Google Assistant automatically connect to these lights and switch them on or off when I say, okay, Google, for something like that, I guess it would be absolutely fine to go serverless, right? Yeah, it's uh, absolutely fine. And this is uh, kind of a, the best choice for you since uh, I think Google also using serverless to work with, uh, to, to make work uh, okay, Google and other things. And Amazon is using serverless for Alexa and so on. Right. So you can kind of uh, know something from uh, experience of big companies that are using serverless uh, in their daily job. Okay, cool. Well, we're running out of time. It was great chatting with you. Uh, for yeah. those people that want to learn more, we'll include the links in the show notes, but they can also go to github.com slash jetbrains slash cartless, right? That's the website yeah. for this. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, great. for And thank you for coming on on a holiday. And uh, talk to thank you Thank you for inviting me.